Amen. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn or tap your way to Genesis 12. Genesis, first book of the Bible. Genesis 12 is where we're going to be today. If you got a copy of the scriptures, if not, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen. We'd love to give you a copy of the scripture in a modern English translation. It makes a huge difference in readability. There's a ton out there. We've got some we like. We'd love to give you. All right, so we're talking about dependence. It's not the most interesting idea for many people. I think most of us are a little scared of the concept of being dependent on somebody else, on on being grounded on something else than our own abilities, our own confidences, our own ideas about ourselves. And last week we started by talking about how being dependent on God leads to being delighted. That Romans, in this passage in Romans 11, Paul, he erupts in praise because God is before him, in him, and ahead of him. That from God and through God and to God are all things. That he holds the world by the word of his power. That's from Hebrews, not Romans, but it's the same idea. He's talking about how God is not merely our creator. And, you know, you can kind of ignore him like you do your parents. But he is actually our sustainer, that all things are from, through, and to him. That truth, you can't get away from it in Scripture. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Paul modeled for us why that should lead to delight. It should lead to worship. But... If that's the idea, if Scripture is telling us something like that, then an objection that I can think our culture might have is that if you're saying that you are, at your core, dependent on someone or something else, man, that's weak. There's something weak about that. Really? I'm my own man. I do my own thing. I'm going to hide my dependency. I'm going to hide the areas where I need other people, and I'm going to accentuate. I'm going to make you see the stuff that I do well. So when I say hello to somebody, I meet them for the first time, what do you do for a living? Challenge. And they're going to respond however they respond. Well, this is what I do for a living. And maybe you're going to shade that. You're going to polish that. You're going to present that in the most impressive way possible. Why? Boy, I tell you this dependency thing. It's a little bit of a black eye on your pride. So what do we do with that? Is that true? Does being dependent on God make you a little limp? Does it make you a little useless? This Apostle Paul guy was very dependent on God. I mean, who's even heard of him, right? Apostle Paul, who, who, who is this guy? Did God even use him? Well, of course, if we are dependent on God, then we can be, here's my continued alliteration, dangerous. You ready for that? Being dependent on God, we can become dangerous. We become useful. We become effective. There's something in that dependence that creates in us ability, possibilities. And we're going to see it by looking at Abraham. So we've got this Bible reading plan we're asking people to do. We're putting people in the Old Testament when possible. I want to pull things from the Old Testament to put before you to help kind of give some 
coherence to some of the stuff you're reading. And in Genesis 12, we get this story about this guy at the time named Abram. And his name is Abram. That's his given name. It means father or dad. And then God changes it at one point and makes it Abraham, which means like big dad or dad of lots and lots of kids. And because his name changes part of the way through Genesis, and people don't really think of him as Abram, they think of him as Abraham, even though this scripture, he's Abram, I'm, I'm probably going to refer to him as Abraham, just to kind of make it, I don't know, a little bit easier to think about who it is that I'm talking about. And in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, we get the beginning of God's call on this Abram, Abraham guy. And the whole time, our, our hope is to see what it means when Christ says, blessed are the meek because they're going to inherit the earth. What does it mean that God's going to take those who will realize their dependence on him and use them in such effective ways? Here it is, Genesis 12, looks at verse 1, and we'll work our way down a little bit. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So, command, command to go, and to command to go and leave everything you got, everything you know, for a place that he doesn't tell him, but he tells him he will tell him. Verse 2, and I, God, will make of you, Abram, a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Huge. Bold promise. Bold offer. If Abraham will trust, if Abraham will go, if he'll rely on God, then God's saying that through you, Abraham, massive nation, a blessing that's going to filter through and bless all the families of the earth. doesn't have a time code on it. Past, present, future. All the families of the earth. Verse 4. So Abraham went. As the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Lot's already been introduced. It's Abraham's nephew. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham trusted and God did something truly great through him. I want you to think a minute about this, all the families of the earth being blessed in the idea of what it is that God's trying to do in Scripture. If you see the story of Scripture, the idea with Scripture is that he made us, he created us, and yet we fell, we went away from him, we rebelled against God. And when we did that, we separated ourselves from him. The story of Scripture now is God coming to get us. And you think, oh, coming to get us in judgment. He's going to find us, and then he's finally going to get us back for our disobedience. Well, that would make sense. But no, God's actually coming to us to clean us, to redeem us, and to bring us back into his presence. The story of Scripture is that we've run, and in our running, we have not only hurt ourselves, we've hurt everything around us. We've cursed creation as we've cursed ourselves as we've cursed our kids. And yet, 
he comes. And as he comes, he comes to bring some sort of redemption, some way for us to be made clean, and then his presence, that he's going to bring us to himself. Again, in the spirit of helping you understand a little bit about what you're reading in the Old Testament, eventually you're going to get to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a lengthy book of prophecy where the prophet Jeremiah was telling the people of Judah about how Babylon's coming, they're going to crush us, and it's going to be awful. And that's what happens. And he continues to describe over and over and over again, chapter after chapter after chapter, about how the people of Israel, people of Judah, this nation state that comes from Abraham, have disobeyed God. And that disobedience is leading to the punishment, the awful deportation of the people. And it's rough reading. It's good to read a couple of chapters from different parts of the Old Testament because if you're only reading for the day is one of these Jeremiah chapters, woof, you start the day in a pretty bored, or not bored, a pretty uh, like down kind of sad place. And yet you have to have passages like that because that's what this world is like. We live in a world where things are wrong, where things are not good. Yesterday, we had this memorial service for Ellen, who died. We weren't skipping and clapping. It's not a good place. I read Jeremiah, and I see things that look like the world that I'm in. But I also see passages like Jeremiah 31. The whole chapter has this, but I'm going to give you a flavor of it, just three verses, 12, 13, and 14. That God does come, and when he comes, this is what he does. This is what he makes his people into. Verse 12, they shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. God's goodness is so good that when we're close to it, we see it, and our faces glow over the grain, the wine, the oil, the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden. They're not going to languish anymore. Then the young women shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I'll turn their mourning into joy. I'm going to comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I'm going to feast the soul of the priests with abundance. My people are going to be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. That's the blessing that he's bringing through Abraham. Blessing of all the family of the earth. That kind of blessing to be with him and being with him, not to just be there in his judgment, but he's redeemed you somehow so that when you're with him, you're in that kind of goodness, that kind of blessing. And it all hangs in this one moment, in this mad, insane plan of God for this Abraham guy to leave everything and go. Now, will he do it? Will he trust in God to provide? Because that's really the question. Is, is, is he going to depend on God to provide? To provide people. He's supposed to be this great nation. His wife is barren. She's not able to have children. God's going to have to overcome that obstacle. Is he going to provide food? It's not easy to go on a camping trip. You've got to pack up as much as you can. And for us, it's not really about if you're going to have food. It's like, how good is the food going to be? 
not real interested in going on a vacation for like macaroni. Like, let's do something exciting. But for Abraham, he's got to wonder, are you even going to have food? And he's got to provide a place. You don't even know where he's going. The theme of God's command on Abraham is not, here's this wonderful thing. The theme is, depend on me. Now, verse 4, I've already read it. Abraham does. He trusts God and he goes. And as he goes, God releases through that obedience an incredible blessing. Because he was dependent, he became, I'm using the word dangerous, but he became effective. He became an agent of change in the world. And I keep trying to conceptualize it. I keep trying to find a way to communicate just how insane it is that God's got this massive thing that he's doing with the world, and he's going to shoot it. He's going to run all of it through this one guy, Abraham. And it is silly, but it's my family. We don't have cable, so we're always watching YouTube videos. And one of the guys we watch is a guy named Mark Rober. I don't know if you know about him. You may have seen he's got these glitter bum things that he did for people that steal your packages off, your pi- off of your porch around Christmas. Amazon drops something off and people steal it. He made a whole series of videos where he made these like uh, glitter explosions when the thieves open up the thing they stole. It's worth watching. He also did a video about elephant toothpaste. Now, I don't know if you saw this or did this in high school, but what you do is they, you mix up a couple of chemicals and all of a sudden these soap bubbles explode out of the little test tube thing that you've got them in. And it's really cool. It shoots out these bubbles, and you add some uh, food coloring or whatever to it. Kelsey can tell you all about it. And all of a sudden, boom, you get this explosion. It's really cool and pretty. And this Mark Rober guy keeps, like, scaling it up. He did it with, like, a whole swimming pool. Woo, YouTube. Then he does another video where he takes a kid named Fletcher who had brain cancer. And he wants to bless this kid. He wants to be kind to this kid. So he invites the kid out, and he has this incredible day planned for him. And then they're going to again break the world record for the largest elephant toothpaste in the world. And so he moves this semi-truck so that Fletcher can see. And on this giant field, he's built this massive wooden sort of thing like a beaker. And inside, they've got these giant troughs of chemicals when the time comes, they're going to push the button, the chemicals are going to drop, and it's going to be a massive explosion of this elephant toothpaste going out into the world. And it's so great. The little beginning of the video to make you want to watch the rest of the video is the moment where Mark Rober hands Fletcher the little button. Fletcher pushes it. And then it shows them all reacting to the massive explosion. Now, here's what I was telling you that whole story for. That's what God is doing with us. Now, God's not Mark Rober. Mark Rober's not God. But here's this thing, this guy, and he's savvy. He's smart. He was an engineer for NASA, an engineer for Apple, did all this crazy stuff. Now he's got this YouTube video. Hundreds of millions of people see all this stuff that he does. So he's got money. He's well-financed. Anything he can think of, people are going to take his call and say yes to helping him do He decides he wants to do this thing, and boom, here it goes. And it takes him months of planning, and he puts a lot of money into it, but then he hands it into the hands of this little kid. Now, this kid may grow up to be a brilliant engineer. Again, the whole illustration breaks down. But in that moment, he's just a little kid with brain cancer. Mark hands him the button, and all he has to do is push it. 
Do you see? God's made this promise for you. He's given you this option to be with him, to be dependent on him, and to watch what he does through you. And all you have to do is just be dependent. All you have to do is just trust. And then all of a sudden, that's all Abraham did. All he did was pack up his family and go, trusting in God. And through him, all the families of the earth have that Jeremiah 31 moment. They can, anyway. He becomes this hinge on which the whole of the world turns. And he's just this one little guy. Now, of course, it does break down. So in the same chapter where we get this amazing promise of God, and if you know anything about the rest of the Bible, you see the importance of this moment. Then the author of Genesis, Moses, he puts right next to it this other story. Because, yes, here in a moment, Abraham does depend on God. But the very next story, we really see what Abraham's dependence looks like as his faithfulness, trust in God, immediately breaks down. See, we, we, if we are dependent on him, he's going to make us dangerous. He's going to make us agents of change. But the problem is that he depends on us to some way, and, and we're not dependable. Look at Abraham. Verses uh, 10 to 16. Now, as he's traveling, there's a famine in the land. So he goes down to Egypt to sojourn there because the famine is severe. And when he's about to enter Egypt, he looks at his wife and says, Now, I know you are a very beautiful woman. And the Egyptians, when they see you, are going to say, This is his wife. Then they're going to kill me and let you live. Tell them that you're my sister that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So when Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and the princes of Pharaoh saw her, and they praised her to Pharaoh, so that the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, so that he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Did you just hear that? The Bible's real. This Abraham cat just got from God the eternal blessing, this, this incredible promise, this thing upon which all of the people of Israel and Jesus Christ himself are going to come rolling out. And immediately, he sells his wife. For what? Imagine being Sarah and having this happen. Imagine being Abraham. And watching this happen. He's dependent on God. All this stuff is out there. Then things get hard. There's a famine. I'm not judging him like I would do any better, but I am judging the action. That's just things get hard. And instead of continuing to depend on the God who made the heavens and the earth, Abraham instead takes it into his own hands. And this is the kind of solution that our hearts come up with. As soon as I can't control, I can either trust God or not. And when I don't trust Him, I'm putting the crown of the universe back on myself and I'm inviting into my life the anxiety of attempting to do things that I could never do, of attempting to solve problems, of calling on my own self and on my own name the responsibility for holding up the clouds when, of course, I can't. And imagine what it's like to live in that brokenness. It shouldn't be hard. 
our own lives mirror this same process. We should trust God and we don't. And when we don't, addiction. When we don't, depression. When we don't, anxiety, fear. Oh, man, you know, Abraham, you're going to be dependent on me. Abraham says yes for a moment. If we're going to understand this dependence, if we're going to see a, a person actually respond to God in the way that he should, we can't even look at Abraham. We have to look somewhere different. Do you know where this is going? We have to see Jesus. See, in Christ, God takes up both sides of the equation. Abraham, of course. Now, Abraham is better than us, but Abraham, of course, fails. And so God has to continue. And eventually, you, you know, you've got to go a little bit of time later. You've got to go a little bit of Bible later. But eventually, he comes to Christ. And in Christ, we see what Abraham was supposed to be. Sort of. But was supposed to be. Yes, through Abraham, God did make this nation. And yes, through Abraham, he did bring this blessing that comes to all the peoples of the earth. But look at what he does through Christ. In 1 Peter 2, so we're all the way in the New Testament now, and this is Jesus' followers writing about his life and about what he did. Peter talks about the people of the church, those that Christ has saved, those that are now in his people. And it says in verse 9 of chapter 2, you are a chosen race. Now, it doesn't mean that only Jewish, ethnically Jewish people come to Christ. Of course not. Peter was there when the Gentiles were first invited into the church. He doesn't mean ethnic race, but he is saying that those who are now in Christ are their own ilk, are their own DNA. You become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Do you hear that? Once you're just out there on your own trying to figure it out, but now you are his people. Jeremiah 31. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that last part is how you get into this people. That mercy, what mercy is he talking about? That God would allow you to become part of his people through Christ. That's how Peter starts this book. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, this is what we were talking about with this living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see the difference? In Christ, trusting in Christ, now, even though we failed and even though we'll fail again, we are brought into, by His mercy, not our goodness, brought into this new people, this new race, this new nation. We now are allowed, able, given the opportunity to depend on Him and to work for His good, for our joy. 
If you're a Christian, part of becoming a Christian is agreeing to that statement. Part of my job in preaching it today is to remind you of it. Because daily, you lose it. Everything in your heart, everything in your culture says, no, 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 no. Take upon yourself again the right and responsibility to lead and dictate for yourself what you're going to do today and how you're going to enjoy yourself. No, of course not. Being a Christian is saying that he wears that crown, that Christ is the only one dependable, and you are now dependent on him. Yes, of course, he's creator. You're definitely dependent on him, but you're dependent on him doubly now as not only your creator, but also your redeemer. That you are going to go to him to find your joy, and you are going to go to him to find your marching orders. So, brothers and sisters, do you do that? Man, it's incredibly hard, but here's, here's a challenge I can give you. Pick a day this week, you name it, and decide that you're going to live that entire day for other people. Every decision you make that day, brushing your teeth, it's so that they don't have to smell your nasty breath. Cooking breakfast, you're going to go a little bit lower calorie and you're going to eat the, maybe the ends of the loaf so that everybody else gets better bread. Ooh, right? No, you don't have to go that far. But you're going to maybe use a little bit more stale bread or whatever. You're going to do something for other people, even in your breakfast, even in your work day. You're not just trying to get ahead. You're also trying to think, okay, now how is what I'm doing right now for other people, for the provision of my family, or for maybe even the provision of God's mission, rather than for the provision of my pride? And I want you to really think about it and really try it. You can even set a little alarm for hourly. You're going to ask the question, okay, in the last hour and the next hour, how am I doing everything that I'm doing for someone else? See how long it takes for that to become so restrictive that you want to vomit. Why? The only purpose of that exercise is to show you, to help you to see, we don't live this way. And yet, if we will, if we'll trust, if we'll see that that's what's happened in the cross, if we'll trust, if we'll depend on him, then he will give us joy. He will give us fruit. Will you? You've got the example of Abraham. You've got the example of Christ. Will you? Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we do depend on you. This breath that I'm breathing, these words that I'm speaking, it's all dependent on you. And yet, I live my life as though it's dependent on me. I live my life as though what's about me. Forgive me, Father. Help me to see that if I depend on you and when I depend on you, you will make me effective for your glory. I don't want to share your gospel. I'm nervous about being bold. And yet, if I will depend on you and do things your way, I can trust. I pray, Lord, that we would be a dependent people who become dangerous for your glory and our good. In your holy name we pray.